News and interviews from your community every morning on WKOK Sunrise on News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. It's another edition of WKOK Sunrise, the Thursday edition. Glad to have you along. Chad Hirschberger sitting here in the anchor chair filling in for Mark Lawrence once again today as Mark enjoys the week off for a well-deserved week of vacation. We thank Rob Center, who is our producer, doing a fine job once again this morning. And we have another interview uh, on the line with us this morning is Mitch Troutman. He is a former Treverton resident, an author, an activist, and the co-founder founder of the Anthracite Unite, and he has a new book out. It is called The Bootleg Coal Rebellion, The Pennsylvania Miners Who Seized an Industry, 1925 to 1942, and Mitch is joining us live on the Newsline. Good morning, Mitch. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we're going to start. Uh, you have this new book. I have the book in front of me, and it is uh, just a fascinating history of some of the coal mining things that happened in our area. Tell us a little bit about how this book came about. Oh, how this book came about. Well, um, I, I had always been curious, especially living in the Treverton area in the coal region there, um, how things came to be the way they were, why we had family-operated mines when you don't see that anywhere else in the country, why people uh, use the land the way they do for off-roading, picnics and parties and all that. Um, and I dug and dug, and it turns out that there was this whole bootleg coal movement back in the 1930s where... Uh, the companies closed down, and miners, without anything else left to do, started mining their own coal off company lands. And you mentioned digging. Um, tell me a little bit about all the research that went into this. I know that you uh, have a lot of firsthand accounts in this book. Yeah, I tried to base the thing really around um, people who participated, their own stories, their own words. Um, so it started with that. Um, I am too young to have met people who were alive back then as miners. There are some people who are, of course, alive from the 30s, but not, not coal miners, unfortunately. Um, but there was another researcher who had done some interviews, uh, about 40 of them that were recorded. Uh, he unfortunately passed away, but I was able to get a hold of them. And from there, I built it up with uh, magazine reports, thousands of newspaper articles, especially local newspapers, were kind of covering the day-by-day the -day detail, you know? Uh, it was it was a lot to put together. And in all that stuff that you found out, what do you what did you find that was the most interesting? What's the thing that really stuck out to you that is part of the book that you were like it was a wow moment for you? I mean, I had quite a few of those to be honest, but I guess the biggest one is that there were several confrontations where the companies would try to use uh, strip mine shovels to destroy the bootleg coal holes and. Uh, Several times, miners uh, surrounded them, sometimes thousands of people, and uh, blew them up. Wow, fascinating. Um, you have uh, in the book, there's quite a few pictures, too, of things. Tell us a little bit about um, how you uh, got some of those um, pictures, uh, where they came from. And, you know, sometimes a picture tells a story better than words. Uh, tell us some of the things that you found out um, just uh, finding some of those pictures, too. Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of them came from the Library of Congress. Back during the Great Depression, part of the make-work make programs they were doing, the WPA, they hired photographers to go around the country and just photograph what people were doing. And some of those photos people have probably seen before, like the Dust Bowl photos are pretty famous. But uh, these were never published, but 
again, housed in the Library of Congress and some, some other archives, and you can just see so much detail that, you know, you, you can read a sentence or two and know, know what something's about, but then just to get all the little bits, you know? Uh, like, there's a picture of a bootleg miner operating a car that they're using as a hoist, right? They have the, the wire hooked up to one of the wheels so they can put it in reverse and send the car down the mine and put it in drive, pull it back up again. And one of these, you can see the little bar he has to protect himself from the cable slashing into him, and you can see a little bit of the fray on the cable, which is kind of scary, but, you know, it kind of tells you the level of danger they were operating in. Was uh, very dangerous not only to be a miner, but to be doing this sort of under the cover of darkness, if you will. Yeah, um, absolutely. And at first it was under the cover of darkness, uh, until about three or four years in, there were just so many people doing it and so few actual coal companies left open that they began doing it out in the open. Um, but regardless, it, it was fairly dangerous, especially when you had other people out of work who were also getting involved that hadn't worked in the mines previously. But they would all stop. If somebody got hurt, if somebody got trapped underground, the whole the mines would stop in a you know town and in the neighboring towns, and everybody would come help out, even if it took weeks sometimes to get get a person back out. And that was that was fairly frequent, but it really showed a really strong community spirit. You uh, are a former Treverton resident. The book uh, is subtitled "The Pennsylvania Miners Who Seized an Industry." Tell us kind of the geographic footprint of the stories that are told in this book. Uh, is it mainly in the coal region here in our area, or does that extend out into Western Pennsylvania and other areas of the state? Nope, just the anthracite coal fields. So just in central and northeastern Pennsylvania, and specifically just the lower coal region. So the, the towns in Northumberland and uh, Schuylkill counties primarily, but also a little bit in Upper Dalton there, a little bit in Columbia with Centralia, you know, uh, a little bit in the Carbon County, but very local. And you have a specific time period uh, that is uh, mentioned right on the cover of the book, 1925 to 1942. Is that primarily the time period that all of this was happening and what led to the decline of this rebellion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as a historian, you have to start and stop somewhere, you know? Uh, so in 1925, there was a large strike, and they were uh, bootlegging coal during that strike to survive through the winter. Then it kind of died off, and then uh, 1929 through 33 or so is when the company started closing down, um, and bootlegging got very large. By, like, 1937 or so, it's uh, producing as much coal as the largest coal companies. Um, and then 1942, you know, that number might ring some bells. That's when the U.S. entered World War II. The draft comes along. All these uh, miners, the younger ones, they're listed as unemployed and they're drafted. And otherwise, you know, local uh, factories are retrofitted to produce materials for the war. So people find work that way. Now, after the war, people do come back and continue bootleg mining on until really the 70s. But again, as a historian, you have to, you have to stop somewhere. And so the, the events of the 1930s, uh, it never really reached that scale again. One of the chapters in your book is called uh, The Bootleggers' Union, and uh, it mentions that the politics of the state were pretty critical for uh, the bootleggers in the 1930s, particularly that there was a Democratic governor in, um, in office here in Pennsylvania, and that was the first time that had happened in 40 years. Tell us a little bit about that, how they, these bootleggers were helped by politics in the state and how they kind of um, got together. 
Yeah, so um, they, as they uh, became more and more out in the open, um, for one reason or another, in each different town, they started forming bootleg unions. Maybe it was because they needed to raise money for a lawyer. Uh, maybe because they had to negotiate with the coal company or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so one of the things the bootleg unions did is they uh, went to Harrisburg pretty regularly, including two big marches where they brought 10,000 people from the coal region. Um, and I think there's some photos in the book of uh, bootleg miners in the back of coal trucks on their way down. But there were three successive governors who held a truce with the bootleg miners, and the truce was... As long as the miners didn't shoot anybody, uh, the state police would not get involved. They would consider it a labor issue. Um, and that, that held for, like I said, a long time, three successive governors. One of them was Republican, but, yeah, this was also the New Deal era. And so, like you said, forced, first time in 40 years that a Democratic governor had been elected. Until then, the Republican Party had such control in the state that basically anybody who ran, ran uh, inside, you know, the race would happen inside the Republican Party. Uh, but th- things really changed when the New Deal came around and shifted party alliances. So the big question now is, are you going to be around that people can get the book and uh, meet you and maybe get a book signed? Yeah, great. Thanks for asking that. Um, I will be in Dalmatia on Tuesday. Uh, that's next Tuesday, September 20th at 7 p.m. Trinity UCC Church, and that's with the Makanoi and Makantango Historical Society. On uh, Thursday, next Thursday, September 22nd, I'll be in Minersville, the Mountaineer Hose Company. And then Saturday, the 24th, uh, so two Saturdays from now, I'll be at Eckley Miners Village out near Hazleton. Um, I'll be there at 2 p.m. doing a book event, but it's actually a free admission day at Eckley. So anywhere between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m., people can come out. Um, They'll have curators. They'll have all sorts of stuff set up. They even have, somehow they got a hold of an old bootleg shaker that people would use to sort the coal by size. Uh, So that'll be on display, too. Sounds fascinating. Um, in uh, the book copy that I have here in the, the station, um, there are two little, I think they're stickers, but they could serve as a bookmark that have a website. I think that that's probably important for our listeners to know if they want to find out more information. So plug your website. Yeah, thank you. Bootlegcold.com up there. You can find uh, where I'll be at. You can find um, which stores have the book locally. Um, and also, I've posted plenty of blog articles and things that didn't fit in the book. And if you are a history lover like me, worth uh, worth your time to read this, the book leg, Coal Rebellion, by Mitch Trotman, who's been our guest this morning. One last question for you, Mitch. Tell me why the message of uh, bootleg mining might be timely for us today. Oh, my God. I mean, people are always trying to survive. And when people can survive in a way that, you know, fits nicely into everything, they'll do it. But when there's no other option, people need to take things into their own hands. And I think these these kind of uh, time periods occur frequently. And um, you, you just never, never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And most of all, I'm impressed by how much they relied on each other, the solidarity. They didn't necessarily like their neighbors any better than we like our neighbors today, but they did rely on them and realize that... Uh, We're all in this together. 
And most of these folks have participated in this uh, bootleg coal rebellion, uh, lived through the Great Depression, and uh, came through a particularly rough time in our country's history. We've been doing that with the pandemic, so maybe some lessons for us there, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you want to get more information uh, on Mitch's book, you can bootlegcoal.com, bootlegcoal.com. You can check out uh, the book signings and the events where you can uh, pick up the book and meet Mitch and learn more about these Pennsylvania miners who took over an industry and did work uh, kind of on the sly and uh, interesting history in our area uh, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Mitch, any parting thoughts this morning? Uh, no, you did a great job asking questions and getting at what I was, what I wanted to talk about. So thank you very much. You're welcome, uh, Mitch Troutman. He is a former Trevorton resident and again wrote this book called Bootleg Coal Rebellion. Make sure you check that out. And uh, before you go, uh, you're also co-founder of Anthracite Unite. Tell us quickly about that. Uh, Anthracite Unite. It's mostly a blog that's been going on for maybe six years now. And we have lots of articles on different things going on in the coal region, um, everything from culture to politics. So, so check, check it out, anthracitunite.com. bootlegcoal.com. We've now given you all homework for today. Thank you, Mitch, for joining us on WKOK Sunrise. Thank you.